raise support, and we're excited about seeing where God's going to be taking her in her next steps on her journey to be able to go back. Um, as many of you know, uh, my, my wife, Jill, and I, we were introduced uh, from afar in August of 2018. She was in California, I was in Alaska. So we started dating long distance, or getting to know each other long distance, and, uh, but then by March of 2019, uh, I knew she was the one, and I snuck down to uh, California for a surprise engagement that she totally knew was kind of about to come. Uh, she's like, yeah, give me the ring. So uh, then, and then in June, three months later, uh, we were wed and began the rest of our lives together, a shock to my system. Um, now, what were we doing in those three months between between the uh, engagement and the wedding. Well, we had lots to do, right? Anybody who's been married knows there's a lot of preparation. So Jill and her family are down in California. They're getting ready for the ceremony and the wedding. They're putting together all sorts of decorations and food. She's getting her dress together. And I'm up here in Alaska putting together the reservations and the, the stuff for the honeymoon in Hawaii. I am putting together announcements and guest lists. And most importantly, the dance music. So we were getting, our, getting ready to get our groove on. Uh, but, but we, actually, even more important than the dance, just barely more important than the dance music was each other, right? And so we, we wanted to, in that three-month period, remain engaged with one another. So, you know, we were doing the Facebook thing. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first, right? And we're just fawning all over each other, and you guys all have your barf bags out. And so we are loving and longing for the day when we will be together and launch our new lives together in June. Now, the most essential thing for me in this process was that I showed up, right? I need to be there. I have promised her that I'm going to come sweep her off her feet and carry her out into Hawaii uh, and I got to actually be there, right? Now, for her, the most important thing was for her to be faithfully waiting for me. Like, if I showed up and she's like, the wedding, I knew I forgot something, right? Didn't put anything together, didn't prepare, right? Or even worse, she's like, I would like you to meet Jeff. <laughs> the wedding's off, right? And we'd have problems. We were in this three-month window preparing ourselves for this permanent binding covenant till death, till, yeah, till death did us part or however the King James would say that. Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a bridegroom, and he also made a covenant promise to his betrothed bride. Now, last week, if you were with us, we peeked in on the engagement dinner, the Last Supper. Jesus was with his apostles in the upper room, and he introduces, to continue the analogy, the engagement ring sign of the bread and the cup. He said, this is my covenant that I'm giving to you. Now, at the Passover meal, they would traditionally have four glasses of wine. Now, those were typically very diluted, so uh, don't worry. I remember the point of the meal was to remember, so they needed to be pretty chill on that. But they had three, four cups, and the third one, most likely the third cup that, they took with, that Jesus took with his disciples was called the cup of redemption. So redeemed, purchased. And this was, as he said, this is the blood of my covenant. The bride price for his bride would be his own spilled blood. And that's what he said. This is the blood of my, the covenant given for you. Then the fourth cup that was traditionally taken at the end of the meal was called the cup of anticipation or consummation. You consummate a wedding. And it is family Sunday, so we're just going to leave that right there. Uh, so that you would, but what's interesting is that the, um, most of the Gospels record, like Matthew does, after the third cup was taken, Jesus says, I will not drink again until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that most likely Jesus did not take the fourth cup with his disciples. Why not? 
Well, because just like Jill and I in that three-month window, Jesus had come the first time, but he was going to come back again. And his church, his bride, his people are in, currently in this engagement period. Now, in the Hebrew culture, when you got betrothed or engaged, you were seen as married. It just hadn't, you hadn't had the party yet. In our culture, you can break an engagement off. It's messy, but it can be done. You don't have to get a divorce, right? But we are, for the analogy, we are already married to Jesus. It's been inaugurated. But he is coming back one day to consummate the marriage. So what we're going to do this morning is we want to flip ahead to the end of the story and that praise the Lord, he has told us how this story ends. And in Revelation 19, remember last week we said there is this feast. And I want to invite you to the fourth cup that Jesus is going to drink at this time of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 reads it this way. And then I want to paint a, a picture of what Revelation says is the eternity to come. Verse 6 of Re Revelation 19, I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's his people, has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. So here we have that fourth cup being taken and that the, the Lamb of God is going to return for his bride, faithfully waiting for him like Jill was faithfully waiting in California for me. But this time, the Bible says he does not come like a fragile baby snuggled in cloths in the manger. This time he's coming like Braveheart. And Revelation 19 and 20 paints this picture of this white uh, this this uh, white horse, and the, and the king is riding on it. He's called Faithful and True, and he's even got a tattoo. says it in the Bible. King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's this sword in his mouth because the way he's going to judge the world is through his word. The word of God speaks to those who have not pledged allegiance to this king. And he starts with Satan, throws him in an abyss. He reigns over the earth, Jesus does, for a thousand years. And just as Satan's getting back off the mat, he gives him an eternal KO and takes him out, throwing him into the lake of fire forever and ever. And then he opens the book of life. And the great white throne of judgment proceeds. And whoever's name is not in the book of life will join Satan, the great beast, in the lake of fire. But those whose names are in the book of life, those who have pledged allegiance to the Lamb, get to behold the jaw-dropping events that happen in Revelation 21. We're told that a second creation is dawning. That God, in verse 5, says, I am making all things new. Behold, we have a marriage, another marriage of heaven and earth have become one. And then this ocean of necks look up, and there's this huge cube coming down from the sky. And it's 1,400 miles long, uh, 1,400 miles deep, 1,400 miles high, and it is a city. It's this great cube city that's going to rest on Jerusalem. The physical place of Jerusalem, it will become the new Jerusalem, this heavenly city where God will dwell with his people forever, where there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more pain. But this time it says there is no physical temple like in Israel because God and his son, the lamb, are the temple. And there is no sun and moon because God and his son are the ones who give us our light and the rest of the nations stroll around in the light of God himself. And it says these gates are are open wide and they will never shut again because no harm or darkness can enter the city from that time forward. And then Revelation 22, the last chapter, the last page of your Bible, 
takes us back to the first page of the Bible where we started in a garden. And there's this river that flows into the middle of the garden. It says it stems from God's throne, symbolizing it is God is the source of all life. And what do we find in the middle of this garden? Once again, a tree of life. And this tree of life, it says in verse 3, the leaves of the tree are, the, are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. So the curse of the fall of the Garden of Eden is reversed in this garden city that we will dwell with God in. And, and then it says that the God, around the throne of God and the Lamb are his servants. And what does the rest of the time look like? Well, what's so cool is what we see in the last page of the Bible is a fulfillment of his purposes from the first page of the Bible. If you've been with us in our series, we said that, that, that Genesis 1 tells us that God has created us for three things. Number one, he's created us for restful worship of him, rulership under him here on earth, and then finally, a relationship with our God. And we see all three of these on display at the end of the story. We're not just going back to the garden. That, that we're actually, we're, it's not just we're walking around naked in a garden again. It's actually launching forward from where Eden was supposed to go. Just like at, the, at the, the wedding was not Jill and I going back to engagement day, right? As great as our engagement day was, it was launching us forward in the forever life with each other. We call each other our adventure buddies. There's an adventure waiting for us ahead in this new life we have together. Life in this new Jerusalem is going to be what would have happened had Adam and Eve obeyed him from the outset. That the earth is going to be filled with his glory as we walk with God. There's all these amazing things that God has in store for his humanity into eternity as his forever adventure buddies. The question I want to pose for us this morning is what does life look like in the meantime? Like what do we do between those two gardens? In Revelation 19, did you notice what it said? His bride has prepared herself with the righteous acts. So how, what does it look like for us to prepare ourselves for this glorious marriage feast that is to come. First John 3 gives us some insight into this. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. He says, when we see the Father, we will become like him. When we behold the Lamb, we will be, become like him. Okay, but that's future. What about today? He says it in verse 3, and everyone who has this hope, this hope that, that he is to come, that he's going to return Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I love this passage because it says that the sure hope that we have that the bridegroom is going to come back for his bride, that the father is going to come back for his children, actually purifies us right now. You've heard the expression to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The Bible actually says the opposite here, that to be heavenly minded is exactly how we become earthly good. Jill and I had plenty of things to do to prepare for the big wedding day. Sending out invitations, getting the bridal party's outfits all lined up, and most importantly, to be set apart for one another, to stay pure in our thoughts and our intentions toward one another, to show up at the marriage. John says, similarly, this hope, as we look ahead to this wedding day with Jesus, purifies us right now as he is pure. We think about that word pure, we think about it with metals, that a pure metal that's refined has nothing else mixed into it. It is just that it's holy, that metal. That's where we get our word holy, set apart, and only that thing. A really smart guy from Denmark named Kierkegaard, he said it this way, purity of heart is to will one thing. To have a pure heart is to have no mixed motives, to only desire one thing in your life. And what did Jesus say that was to be? He said, seek first what? The kingdom. Seek 
the, the place where God is, where God reigns, that everything we should be doing, the purity of our heart, that means the heart compass should be single-mindedly pointed forward toward the kingdom of God. And then therefore, that we would craft all of our life, all of our habits, in a way that moves toward that kingdom. And this is a perfect way to launch because next month we're going to start looking ahead to the next 10 years at Peninsula Grace. What does it look like to set our heart compass toward this kingdom and, and to actually live that way as a follower of Jesus today? What I want to do with our time this morning is I want us to look, look back and review what the original intentions for, God, uh, for us were from God in the beginning, in the first garden, and then to look ahead to the fulfillment of those things in the garden city to come and then ask the question, how do we do that today? As he's in the process of making all things new, how do we restfully worship him today? How do we rule under him, with him today? And how do we relate with our God today? We want the Bible to tell us the answers to those questions. So let's first look at the restful worship of Jesus. The restful worship of Jesus. If you remember, back on Genesis, uh, page one, Genesis one, that after every day, there was this time marker. Remember? He said there was evening and there was morning day one. There was evening, there was morning day two, and all the way for the six days. But then on the seventh day, the day where he rested, we noticed that there was no time marker. There was no evening, symbolically. The sun didn't set. Now, of course, in actuality, there, there would have been a day, right? But what the point was, it was a, we said it was a whisper toward the goal of creation, that all of creation is moving toward this eternal state of rest and worship of God. That was his original intention in the garden. And on the last page of the Bible, this is what comes true. Back to our garden city in Revelation 22. It says, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will what? They will worship him. They will rest in him as sovereign God and worship him rightly. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's John's version of what he said in his epistle. We see him, we will become like him. And then verse five, night will be no more. People, and as we get to this time of the winter season, amen, right, amen. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun or that happy light as you're doing your morning devotions because the Lord God will give them light. God will be our light. In this garden city, it says that we will worship the Lamb and the Father forever. Now, now think about what that means. Let's just imaginatively go there for a moment, to be in the very presence of God and his son, Jesus. I mean, what else will we want than to be with him, to, to talk with him, to, to, to soak up all of his beauty and his power and his majesty? We're going to want nothing else than to be with him. That's what worship means, worth-ship. We say, God, you are more valuable to me than anything. What I want is to be in your presence. But here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. We do not have to wait for that marriage supper to be with him. Eternal life, Jesus defines in John 17 as knowing our God. Now, we don't know him fully yet. We have not fully seen him and become fully like him. But we can know him today. We can be connected to our God through Jesus in eternal life right now. And so the question is, how do we practice the presence of Jesus today? I'm glad you asked. What does it look like to abide in the vine today? Because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. As a pastor, even as a friend, Sometimes people will come and say, man, my life is just dry. Have you felt that before? You're in a desert period where it's like, I just don't feel it. I don't really care about my walk. I'm just kind of doing life, kind of floating. And oftentimes somebody comes and we're talking that through. I'll usually start by asking two different questions. The first question I'll ask is, is there a sin in your, in your life that you've not told Jesus about, that you've not confessed to your Lord? 
Now we know, we've said in this new covenant, we are promised forgiveness forever. But what happens in like any relationship, if there's a wall between, if there's something that's not being dealt with in a transparent way, then that prevents intimacy. So what do we need? First John says, in order to walk in the light, we need to confess our sin. Not to claim we have no sin, but to confess it. And what we find in the gift of repentance and confession is forgiveness and acceptance. But if we're not willing to confess, we cannot walk in intimacy. So is there a confession of sin in your life that needs to happen between you and the Lord? The second question I'll ask is, are you spending time with him? Are you spending time with Jesus? Like Again, like a human relationship, we feed our appetites. So basketball season's upon us. And I know that the more I watch basketball, the more I'm going to want to watch more basketball. And I'm going to look up the statistics. I'm going to watch the highlights. And I'm going to want to look at the, listen to the podcast and look at my fantasy team and just become obsessed with it, right? And so the same way with Jesus, the best way to value him is to feed that appetite, to place ourselves in his presence. The more we see of him, infinitely more valuable than basketball. Our hearts will want him, be gravitated toward him with this new spirit in us. So a couple of practices for us to consider how we practically walk in this this week. Uh, First of all, silence and solitude. The Bible over and over says, be still and know he is God. To be quiet in his presence. And isn't this not countercultural in in a day of busyness and iPhones where we don't even have a second for our brains to just be? That, That you and I need to say, where can we carve out some space to just be still and listen? Maybe for you, it's a, it's a quiet drive down the road. Maybe for you, it is like locking yourself in a closet, not telling, you, t- telling your children where you are, and trying to get like five minutes of silence and solitude, right? Maybe it's a hike in the woods. How do we get away and just be still in his presence? Then prayer. Like any relationship, God wants us to talk to him. All of us. He wants all of us. Your anger, your anxieties, not just the moments where you're just feeling all spiritual. He says, cast your cares on me because I care about all of you. So how do we find those times both of concentrated prayer, just like you need with, a, with an intimate relationship in your life, you need some time to talk some stuff out, but then also throughout the day. One of the rhythms that I've been trying to bring into my own life is how do I pray without ceasing? So kind of one of the things I've been practicing is the next thing. It, like I'm going to go to a meeting, I'm going to drive into work, I'm going to come home tonight to Jill. How do I put that before me to say, God, as I'm pulling into the driveway, Lord, I need you. I can't not love this person without you. I need you to do in me what I cannot do on my own but then we don't just do that one-on-one. We also worship with God's family, the Christ's body, the, the bride, that we are to worship. That's what we're doing right now, right? We want to prioritize gathering together and worshiping our God as he is worthy of being worshipped. But not just once a week on Sunday mornings at our pep rally, but also throughout the week. We want to talk about him, rejoice in him, sing to him, uh, pray to him and with him in the context of our spiritual community. And finally, considering what Sabbath rest practices can look like for us in our lives. So each week, the Sabbath was, was given to stop everything else and worship God, just to rest in him. So where can you find some of these Sabbath rest rhythms? The break from the busyness. Maybe it's putting the phone in a drawer for a little bit. How do we live before the Lord? And the beautiful thing is we can actually start to worship him today on this version of earth as he will be one day when that heaven comes to the next version of earth. I love the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the simple words, as we look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth, the world's ways, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We turn our eyes upon Jesus and worship him. Number two, 
a relationship with Jesus. Now, I've noticed in my close relationships, I become like the people I behold. So like Jill and I now are a couple years into marriage, and, and I'm noticing like one of her favorite phrases is, oh, buddy. And that is super nuanced. Like it can be, oh, buddy. It can be, oh, buddy, right? It can be a whole spectrum. It's really, vert- it's like a Swiss Army knife of sayings. You should try it. And I'll find myself, something will happen, and I'll be like, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. <laughs> we are becoming one flesh. <laughs> like, I am, I don't know, and I guess she'll probably have some, some habits like mine, too. So pray for Jill, would you? Um, Genesis 1 says that we were created for a relationship with God. It says in Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, this word likeness is talking about relationship. It was often symbolizing a father and a son or a father to their child. And, and remember, God in, in Genesis, there it is, chapter 3, he's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. As we look forward to that future garden, it says, once again, we will be walking with our God. Look at Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they will be, and, and will be their God. God with us. Emmanuel, right? That's what Jesus came to give us the introduction to eternity. God wants to be with us, but not only with us, he wants us to be like him as a child to a father. And what does that withness look like? He says it in the next verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Hallelujah. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The reversal of Eden's curse in the next garden. Can you imagine living in that world? Talked about that purity of heart. Can you imagine one day without any sinful motives mixed in, to have no pride in my actions or thoughts, to have no jealousy, to have no anxiety, to never gossip about each other and complain about each other, to, to rage and no more suffering or abuse, no more lying to one another. But the call is, man, let's practice that right now. This, this current version of earth isn't our true home we can show the world a glimpse of the one that is to come. And so how can we practice that? Well, first of all, we need to be in community. We need to be in community. We need to love the bride. So you look around, those of us in this room that have, have, have placed our faith, faith in Jesus or are a part of that bride right now. And Jesus says, when he was in a garden, praying right before he died, he prayed that the world would know that Jesus was sent to die for it and that God loves them. And what's fascinating, look at the way that Jesus says, the, the main way that the world will know that he's come. It's not a bunch of miraculous signs Look at what he says in, in John 17. I, Father, and am, am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. How does he say the world's going to know about Jesus and God the Father's love? Through the unity that you and I have as the family, as the bride of Christ, that we would love each other so radically, so different than the ways of the world, that the world would see a version of heaven on earth. That man, when you and I see a brother or sister in need, bam, that need should be taken care of. That we need to bring a meal, we need to help financially, we need to pray with someone, just be present. Most of the time, it's just being there, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, being willing to forgive each other when we inevitably wrong each other, encouraging one another. So how do we do that? How can we take, take a step deeper step into community this season. Maybe for you, that's taking the next step beyond the, the front door of, of, of worship together. 
Maybe that's plugging in here as a family with a small group or a discipleship partner. Maybe it's just a simple starting of asking the Lord, praying for those around you, and asking, how can I love the people that you've put me within arm's distance of? But not only are we to love the current bride, we're also to fatten that bride. We're going to make disciples. We're going to stuff more disciples into that wedding gown. We, we cannot earn our way up to heaven, right? God brought heaven to earth through Jesus. And just as Jesus came to us, so we are sent into this world. That, that you and I are to proclaim the good news that the king has come. And he's going to come back again to consummate his kingdom. And that we need to prepare ourselves. And so what's one way we step into that? Well, a simple way is just to pray for three people. It's one of the things we talk about here at Peninsula Grace. It's just, who are three people in your life that don't know Jesus, that aren't a part of the bride yet? How can we pray for them? And then prayerfully say, Lord, how can I rub shoulders with them? Maybe it's, maybe it's having them over for lunch or going to coffee. Maybe it's a hike. Just do what you love or what they love and, and do it together. Build relationship. So we emanate Jesus' love on earth toward each other and toward the world. And, and finally, what rulership under Jesus. Rulership under Jesus. So remember God's original mandate back in Genesis 1. He said in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. He says, rule over creation. Take care of everything else that I've created and fill this place up with more humans. Now, we said that he created us in his likeness and in his image. And the word image was this idea of these little statues, right, representing the king's reign. And that you and I are God's representatives, living statues here on earth saying, God reigns in this place. We don't reign supremely. He does. We represent that reign. And can you imagine, as we look forward into the garden city in Genesis, uh, Revelation 22, it says that we will actually physically reign with him in his presence forever. Verse 5, they will reign, they, his people, will reign with him forever and ever. Now sadly, when we think of heaven, I think we often get the vision of what heaven is going to be like. We get it wrong. And I believe that there are some ramifications for that today. I think it matters what we think of tomorrow to be. Oftentimes our vision is just that we're going to be like a bunch of Caspers floating on the clouds singing worship songs on repeat. Holy, 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 holy. And some of you guys are like, we sing too much in church, right? Like, and if I'm looking for a forever where we just sing songs on repeat, no thank you. Or you know what, I've got some things, the actual things that I'd like to get done here on earth before I go to be with God in heaven in this eternal hymn sing. I want you to consider for a second. Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he was raised to a real physical body. All four Gospels show us that. He ate fish. He, he, people touched the holes in his hands. He had a real body. And he was the first, the first to raise from the dead. That Jesus was the prototype of what was to come. You and I are living in fallen bodies. We're going to get resurrected bodies. Corinthians 15 says it's like a seed that later becomes an oak tree. Do you know what an oak tree and a seed, do they look a lot alike? They don't. But one came from the other. He says in the same way, just like a, like, a, like a flip phone compared to an iPhone that has way more accessories, right? He says, your future body, the future creation, this current version of earth ain't got nothing on that oak tree to come. He says, look forward to that day. Jesus was the portal into this new creation that the rest of us, the dead, will be risen and have real physical bodies like Jesus has a real physical body and a real physical visible earth. We're going to do stuff. We're not just singing songs forever and ever. Some of you are like, dang, I really like singing. This creation, 1.0, think about today what we're created for. Like, we're created to work, right? We're, we're created to work, and not just like busy work. 
like real satisfactory, you know how it feels after a good day of work, meaningful work? None of us were created for just Saturdays. We were created to, to work. We were created to create, to paint, and to write, and, and to sing songs, right? To, to make like our maker makes, to build. Some of us are building birdhouses. Some of us are constructing whole cities. We're also called to explore. We swim, that we hike, that we travel around this world of exploring all that God, and even now with our technology, we can explore beyond our world. We're sending spaceships and satellites into the unknown. We're going everywhere. So if this version of Earth is amazing, man, what is the next one going to be like? I mean, so when we say, Jesus, can you just wait to come back until I go to my vacation to Hawaii? It's like, are you kidding me? You're going to be exploring the universe. You might be able to fly. I don't know. A guy can hope, right? That we, we can wait until I get married or have kids. In the new creation, we are going to have an intimacy with all of God's people in a way that we can't even touch in this version of, of division and sin. We're going to be called, we're going to, be called to, to, to tasks, to rule over the earth to take care of the animals, be training puppies. I don't know if we'll be allowed to hunt anymore, but some of you guys are like, I don't want heaven without hunting, so you can take that up with God. <laughs> we're going to be exploring, we're going to be building cities. Like This is not going to be boring. And, and so let's practice ruling over creation right now. You and I are called stewards of what belongs to God, because he reigns, right? So I looked up stewards in Google Images, and I got this, so we're just going to roll with it. We, we, that you and I are stewarding the gifts of God for his glory, including our own body. We steward the things that God has given us. And so we're called to work to the glory of God, create and build and explore to the glory of God. God has made you both spirit and body. So we take care of our bodies as well as our spirits. We sleep, we eat well, we exercise, we fast. But the question is, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So how do we eat and drink to the glory of God? How do we work and explore and build to the glory of God? What does that, what does that mean? Well, one of the important principles that we see in Romans 1 is that we do not elevate those gifts above the giver himself. We don't make the gifts more important or more necessary to us than God himself. Romans 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So the moment we take a good gift of his and make it more important in our lives than him, he says, you're out of whack with the stewardship that I've called you to. So God gives and takes away. He gives us relationships. He gives us jobs. He gives us talents. He gives us time. He gives us money. And what we're called to here is to enjoy. How cool, what a grace of our God that he's given us all these amazing gifts just to enjoy. And then to thank him for those things. But then to say, God, how would you, you're the king, how would you have me use my time with purity of heart, one aim towards your kingdom? How would you have me use your resources for your kingdom? How would you have me use my body and my job for your kingdom? And we look forward to reigning with God forever by obediently caring for the things that he's given us now, enjoying his creation. And with that, we conclude our series on the unfolding promise. 
This is the Bible's story of God making covenant, covenanting with mankind. If you remember at the beginning, we said, what is a covenant? We said a covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties, in this case God and humans, make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. God wanted to work with us. What an amazing gift of his grace. But what do we see in the story over and over again? Man fails to keep his end, our end of the promises. But we've seen over and over again that our God never fails to keep the ends of his. Amen? That's our God. And so we've seen as this story has moved along, we said the fuzzy picture is becoming clearer. How we will be rescued and who will rescue us. Who will deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of light, as Colossians 1 says. We've seen that the story of the Bible is all about God. He is the main actor. And that one of the things that we want to see about our God over and over again in the story is that he is one who keeps his promises. And Corinthians says that every single one of those promises is a yes and an amen in Jesus. We have seen that every single one of these covenants finds their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, the faithful and true warrior coming on that white horse with a tattoo on his thigh. He says, I am the true Adam that's come to defeat sin and death on your behalf. That I am the snake crusher. I am the ark. I'm the one that will deliver you from God's floodwaters of judgment and chaos and death. That I am the true Israel. That I will bring God's place with God's people here on earth forever. That I am actually the true Israel itself that will fulfill these promises because I obeyed God. I represented his lifestyle here on earth in my character in a way that no other human ever did. That he is the true Lion of Judah, the King of David, who will rule as the Prince of Peace forever and ever. And that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead into the new heavens and the new earth. But he's not going to remain alone. Because lest a seed dies, it remains alone. But Jesus died and rose to new life so that you and I could join him in the new heavens and in the new earth forever and ever. Amen? And for now... We wait. We wait for that second coming, and we don't know how much longer it's going to be. But we have plenty to do in the meantime, right? Like our our wedding preparations, we have a bride right now to love, and we have more guests to invite to that wedding party. And above all, we want to enjoy the bridegroom because that is eternal life. And let the sure hope that we have a faithful returning king who has promised to come, let that purify our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors right now. I want to finish with the last words of Revelation. If you'd stand up with me, I want to say these together. We look forward to this garden city. And in these last words, it's Jesus Christ himself. And he's speaking these words. And we want to both speak the words of Jesus and we want to speak the words that we are going to repeat to him now and forever. So let's say these last few words as we turn to praise our God together. Read these with me, would you? He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. And all God's people said, let's sing about that amazing grace.